0: Behind the facade of a religious community lies a story of manipulation, mind control, and tragedy. Let's investigate the secrets, the power, and the psychological grip of the Word of Life Fellowship, a story of religious devotion taken to the extreme. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. Thank you for joining me for another captivating true crime story where we will take a look at physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways that are there waiting for us. If you're listening, I really believe that you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI. Not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact in your community. This is season four, episode 43. The book I chose for this week is Broken Faith, Inside One of America's Most Dangerous Cults by Mitch Weiss and Holbrook Moore. Our guest this week is Lori Prather, our chaplain here at The Unlovely Truth. Get ready for an eye-opening journey into the heart of the Word of Life Fellowship, a story that will make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and make you question your own susceptibility to be manipulated. This is truly one of the most disturbing instances of what I would consider spiritual and physical abuse in a church setting that I have ever come across a church movement that started back in 1979 and actually still exists today, has many critics and many who would defend it with their lives. Though this book was really written as an expose, I think it also serves as a cautionary tale of sorts. Now, I know it's hard for some of us to accept that people can proclaim to be godly and then turn around and be horribly abusive, but it does happen. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. We'll look at what else he says about how to recognize these false prophets later on in the podcast. The Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina has some of the most breathtaking scenery in the South. It's hard to imagine evil lurking there in the form of a small evangelical church. Rick and Suzanne Cooper didn't see the trouble that would plague them and their children for decades. Sam and Jane Whaley had started the Word of Faith Fellowship, but Jane ran the show. Her followers truly saw her as a prophet, and I'll bet she sees herself that way, too. She taught that legions of demons were all around us, all the time, manipulating us into addictions, illness, and sin. But she had a special way of dealing with them. She called on scripture from Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. And in the New Living Translation, it reads like this. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Now, it was her actual method of casting out demons that should have been a big red flag. Her method, she admitted, wasn't in Scripture but had been revealed directly to her by God. Now there's red flag number two. She called this technique she had developed, or I'm sorry, she had had revealed to her. She called it blasting, and it involved calling out a person who you thought was being sinful. Then church members would surround this person, screaming at them and sometimes beating them. This wasn't reserved just for adults in the community. Children were blasted too. One witness recalled seeing a six-month-old baby blasted. Now, can you imagine watching your children be subjected to that and not questioning it? Suzanne Cooper's mother visited once, and she certainly questioned it. When she went to a service, she said she felt evil in the room. But the church did grow, even to the point of having satellite congregations in other countries. Members were kept so isolated from outside influences that they didn't even seem to realize that what was going on around them just wasn't normal. Not much information got out to the surrounding community because you could only attend services if you had an invitation. And there's red flag number three. Ex-members and undercover attendees started pulling back the curtain on the group's alarming practices a little bit. And Jane responded by telling her flock that they were coming under even greater spiritual attack so they would need to pray more. And oh yeah, they needed to turn off their TVs. She didn't want them to see what the TV show Inside Edition was getting ready to air about them. That coverage was devastating, even worse than Jane had imagined. Secret videos had been made and former members told their stories of life within what they called a cult. The surrounding community was really surprised to hear what was going on right under their noses. And you would think that when such abusive practices get uncovered, there would be all kinds of investigations and maybe even some arrests. Guess what happened? Nothing. Jane immediately went on the offensive. She demanded that her closest supporters write letters and make phone calls to law enforcement agencies and state and local politicians. The common theme was, of course, that the Word of Life was being persecuted for their faith. She showed these select leaders the tape of the Inside Edition story, bits at a time, as she explained how it was all lies and exaggerations. The Coopers bought it, and they stayed. I have to tell you that one podcast episode isn't nearly long enough to cover everything that is alleged to have happened at the Word of Life Fellowship. Things like sending people to a building for days, weeks, or months at a time where they were supposed to repent of what leadership called out as sin in their lives. Or separating children from their parents as a means of control. And even how local authorities seemed reluctant to cross Jane Whaley, leaving victims of abuse no way at all to seek justice. There are bright spots, though. Stories of local people who did step up to try to uncover the truth. Robin Spence was a court official who did her best to expose what she saw as evil, illegal activities within the group. She ended up going to the police for herself when her life was threatened. The sheriff told her she was just being too thin-skinned. Less than two years later, at the age of 46, Robin Spence died of acute respiratory distress syndrome. Her family asked authorities to treat her death as being suspicious, but they refused. And if you think that's an isolated incident, I hate to tell you it isn't. Now, what went on in this story was extreme, for sure. But I want us to talk about how we can be on the lookout for subtle forms of abuse in our own faith communities. And we're going to do that in just a moment with our chaplain, Lori Prath. First, I want to really encourage you, though, get this book. It is very eye-opening. It's a good read. It's a tough read. But we need to be aware of what can happen so that we can keep people safer physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Hi, Lori. I am always so excited to have you on the podcast because you give such wonderful Thank wisdom you. to Thank you. I am so happy to be here. It's been a while. It has. And of course, I knew one of our favorite subjects called... I knew I'd ask you to, to uh, chime in on this one, because as I was reading this particular story of this particular religious group, I mean, it was crazy town, absolutely crazy town. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us, it gets really easy to believe that when you hear these stories of things that happen in, in this church and others like it, that they're just isolated incidents. And so, you know, we certainly don't have to look out for anything like this in our own right. church. You and I have both seen stuff happen in all kinds of churches that just gets excused, but it's still what I would consider kind of the spectrum of abuse. Maybe not as bad as what we had in right. this particular case. Well, let's just throw out some ideas of the type of stuff we're talking about. Yeah, there are definitely red flags along the way.
1: Very rarely are you there one day and the next day you're all the way in. You know, there are there are red flags usually that happen along the way. And I know several of the things that that when you look at what happened in this particular book and this story, okay, what led there? Any time that a pastor or a church is trying to tell you exactly what to do and monitoring it, Not normal. Yes, the Bible lays out God's plan for our lives. So a pastor standing up and quoting scripture and talking about this is what the Bible tells us to do or how God calls us to live or how this calling from God puts us in the healthiest place. That's very different than someone standing up and saying, I need to do this, this and this and I'm checking in on you or there will be consequences if you don't there should never be consequences at a church unless it's you did something wrong and therefore you can't serve anymore and i think one of the things this is a big one to me that really applies to anything we could list right now is does it measure up biblically and in this particular case they weren't really claiming it was scriptural so that should be the biggest red flag But a lot of people will tell you it's scriptural. One of the things I've always loved about the pastor of the church I worked at for many years is he would say all the time, don't take my word for it. You should be going every Sunday and looking up the scripture and reading these stories and making sure that what I told you was correct.
0: Yes. You hinted a little bit at the idea of accountability, which definitely Mm -hmm. is biblical. But accountability is not the same thing as being (laughs) surveilled. Absolutely. So that's a problem.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I would even say maybe in a tiny church when there's no other staff, but when the lead person is doing the surveilling and accountability for everyone, that's not normal either. Like I would say in a more typical church, my accountability partner is going to be someone that's a female and someone that I connect with and someone that I have some commonalities with. And then we get to know each other and we decide to be accountability partners. You know what I mean? It's not forced on you. Forced accountability is not biblical.
0: Right. And where I serve on the security team at our church, we are there to secure things during services, during events. If people come to us with outside issues, we can help find resources for them. It doesn't mean we're following people around to right. see what they're doing when they're not in church with us, which was happening in this case. So, yeah, that, that would now be the I have point a
1: good of you in like a car following different people out of church <laughs> to see where they go to lunch or something like that.
0: All <laughs> yes. right. My next question has got kind okay. of a long lead in. So there was. Oh my gosh, so much bizarre stuff going on in this church. But there was, yes, there was one that really stood out to me was that hundreds of church members signed a document that they called a waiver and release agreement. And it laid out the church's beliefs about casting out demons, divine healing, but it also had language stating that the church did not guarantee actual (laughs) healing, you know, maybe whatever demons you had in you wouldn't actually be driven out. And so people were agreeing that they were not going to hold the church liable for any injury or harm. Wow. Yeah, that just blew my mind because I I don't know what kind of judge they thought would actually uphold this if it never came to it. But then I thought, well, you know, maybe she really didn't think that. Maybe it was just another way for her to control what people were, you know, quote, allowed to do. Yep. You know, it was a sign of loyalty. So, you know, let's think about some less toxic things that we might see in churches along this this same extreme loyalty right.
1: test. I also wonder, too, with that particular, because it's such a weird thing to have them do. And again, right. we're not saying sign a liability form when you send your kid to camp. That's not the same thing. These are, there are places where that, right. it, to me, I wonder too if she was just planting the seed of, I get to decide what you say to who. You know what I mean? It, it, it almost planted the seed for a more foundational truth in their church, anyway, of she decides who I talk to, who I tell about what happened. You know, that it was more like that. I think anytime in a church where you are made to feel like someone is, again, controlling what you can do, in a church setting, mm-hmm. we are there, we've said to hold each other accountable. But there is a difference between me saying to you, Lori, I feel like this path that you're on is very unhealthy. Can we go look at the Bible together? Like I'm referencing this scripture. Let's read it together. Let's talk about. It. That is a completely different conversation than you are not allowed to have a drink on Sundays. Why? Right? <laughs> why am I not allowed just because we say so? And I'm not that's maybe not the best topic because I know there are some churches that have very different opinions on that topic. But my point is, the first thing I would ask is why? Why? Why can't I do that? Is it biblical? Does it track? Does it make sense? Is it taking any of my rights away? That's a big one to me. Like, is this infringing on my personal decisions? Because if God is not a puppet master, no leader or pastor should be either. Thing well, that feels that. like you're being controlled and told what to do, not given advice or shown biblically, here's some parameters we follow that's very different than here is a list of do's and don'ts. And if you do them, you're out, there are consequences. Did they ever kick anyone out of this church, I'm curious, for not doing, not following these guidelines that were so bizarre?
0: Typically, what was described in the book was people were corrected and re-educated. That
1: makes sense. (laughs) That's That tracks
0: Yeah. So that that's another thing. When someone tells you, you are not understanding this correctly, and so you will listen to me until you do. Right. That's a problem as well. Because like you said earlier, it's one thing to sit down and say, hey, and, and the Bible says, let's sit and reason together. Right? Let's look at the scripture. Let's talk about what it means, as opposed to I'm telling you what this means. And I'm telling you what you can and cannot do in light of that.
1: Yes. And I also think, you know, we, we keep using this word accountability, but in all of the topics we're going to talk about today, I think there's two overlying kind of, if you only get these two things, you'll, this will help. One of them is, is it biblical? Is it in the scripture? You read it, you know, make sure it's there for yourself. The other one is, Not just going to someone else, even in the church, having a friend that you trust outside of your organization, because anyone in the church, again, in that situation, they were just going to be told what they were supposed to say. So having people, I've always said that it's important that you have people that you trust that don't go to your church. So that when you have, you need that kind of unbiased third party person who can, yeah, it's your, it's your perspective on the story, but they're not so ingrained in it. You and I've had these conversations many times, not for anything this extreme, but hey, I kind of got a weird spirit flag or that seemed odd to me. Let me share it with you. And you know, yeah, that does seem weirder. No, that was probably this. Okay. So having people outside of the organization, which we know that's why they isolate you so that gets harder and harder but that's again another red flag of them telling you who you can and can't interact with jesus interacted with everyone in fact he was often told he shouldn't be interacting with the
0: exact people he did so (laughs) he was wasn't he and see this this is why i like you so much you have so much great insight Another thing that is alleged against the Word of Life Fellowship is that they were engaged in labor trafficking. We think about sex (sighs) trafficking, but we don't think about labor trafficking. There were members of this group that were forced to work for church-owned or member-owned businesses with little or usually no pay. There's a restaurant not too far from where I live that does this exact same thing. And a lot of people know it. A lot of people don't, though. You go in, and they're just happy, chipper people, and they want to tell you about Jesus, and they're working 12-hour days for no pay. Is that legal. But, oh, it's not. Wow. But a lot of what True. this group did True. wasn't legal either. The local authorities would turn a blind eye. They just didn't want to deal with it. And most of our churches, the vast majority, that's not going to be going on. But you do have to stop and think, Well, okay, maybe like to a lesser degree on a smaller scale, can that same concept creep into our churches? You know, we pile so much responsibility on people sometimes, sometimes of our our volunteers or even staff. So how do we put safeguards in place so that the church doesn't work people to death? Well, figuratively in (laughs) our case, you know, the person that's getting it done, we always give them that one more thing.
1: I think, again, the perspective you have to take is you're the person being asked to do too much. And so you have to have those boundaries in place. Obviously, the church runs on service. I can just imagine the pastors right now going, don't tell people they can't serve in the church. What are you doing? When someone's taking advantage of you, which that's the minor part to me of this case, this went all the way to illegal. Taking advantage of you isn't illegal. But it's not okay. They may not be doing it on purpose at all. You know, sometimes if someone just keeps saying yes, you're going to keep
0: asking them. And it's so hard for us as women to say no, especially when we know it's something that needs done. So we
1: have to set our own boundaries. This is something that I am not great at and have spent the last really five years working on very strongly. So I get it. I understand this is a tough one. I think one, you have to set your own boundaries. You have to be upfront with people and say, I can only do this. You know, I was thinking from the flip side whenever, because I think we've talked about this enough. I was a children's pastor. So my life revolved around getting other people to help. And I remember anytime we did something that we needed help prepping, I knew the people who were most likely to say yes. I knew the people whose schedules were most likely accommodating But I always gave them it out. I always said, Look, if you can't, you can't. I also was in relationship with them enough to know, Oh, I know there's been something going on in their life. And they'll still say yes to me, but I'm not asking them right now because I know they have a lot going on. So, from a leadership standpoint, it all comes down to relationship. You have to know your people well enough and be mindful of, wait, they're serving for you and you, and okay, we're going to burn this person out. From a personal standpoint, I think you really have to be the one to set the boundaries. You should never feel unsafe or uncomfortable. And if you do, even if what is happening is not wrong, the simple fact that it feels wrong to you is okay to say, I don't feel comfortable doing this anymore. And that's perfectly okay. It doesn't mean what they're doing is wrong. But I just think of all those people that felt obligated. I don't know that obligation is the word that you should ever feel in church.
0: Right. We we have our obligation to God, but obligation to the church is simply out of our love for God, not because we've felt pressured or manipulated or whatever might be going on.
1: I just wish that everyone could see my body language as you share all these crazy things, like my hands are on my hair, and it just—it's so extreme and so ridiculous. But again, you—you you said earlier, hundreds of people. This
0: didn't happen to five people. Hundreds of people. Right. Well, if if you think it's been crazy up till now, <laughs> we hang on to your hats. At least two young men from this congregation claim that they were blasted and beaten because they were homosexuals. They escaped. And when one of them turned to his own mother for support for separating himself from the abuse at the church, she said, and I am quoting from the book right here. She said, why are you doing this? Just look at you. I can tell the devil's all over you. If you leave the things that God has done for you, you are going to get cancer again and die. So no <laughs> mom of the year award for her.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: But again, I to a lesser degree, of course, but I think a lot of churches will tolerate members throwing out emotionally and spiritually abusive language without confronting them. And honestly, you know, whatever your stand on homosexuality is, that part's not, not the, the issue the point here. here. Yeah. Right. The issue was how abusive this mother was because her mind was so controlled by the leader of this group. You and I have both been on staff. You and I have both been lead volunteers. Yes. How do we do a better job of stepping in when we do see some kind of lower level verbal abuse being thrown around? Like I I think I think you were in this this class with me. We had a lady kind of opening up. She was really struggling with um, trying to quit smoking. And we had an older lady in this class. We were like the 20s and 30s class back at that time. And this elderly lady, for whatever reason, loved our class, wanted to be in there with us. And she piped up and said, well, what in the world are you doing smoking that dirty weed? I shouldn't be laughing, but I do remember it. And it was not
1: funny. I knew you were all mortified.
0: How do we just get our people to treat each other with kindness and respect and the love that the scripture teaches us?
1: If to. we had that answer summed up in three sentences, the world would be a different place
0: right <laughs> now. Okay, good point. How about just some, some nugget, little yes. nugget of something First, we could, we could say, do to maybe my make things heart a little better? just
1: breaks when I hear that story. Like, I just want to go give that young man a hug. That's that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, don't, I think this goes without saying, but never should you be physically attacked in church and be told it's okay. Can we just throw that out there real quickly? We all agree that on one. that one. As far as minor things. Honestly, the biggest challenge with this is so often the people saying those things are saying it to one person and that person feels guilt or shame and they're not saying it in front of other people. So the, the topic that comes up to me in my head that I have heard so many sad times is women who have gone through a divorce And I have been told by more than one of them over my many course of years, not just as a pastor, but just in church, they always ended up in our small group. And the question when they were coming to the small group would be, well, I'm divorced. Okay. (laughs) I'm always like, what does that have to do with anything? And then I would hear stories of what happened at their previous church and how they were made to feel. Now, I know there's two sides to every story. I get that. But clearly it was bad enough for them to leave. And then the problem is it stayed with them. So now they had this shame and they assumed, sadly, well, if that one church or that one person at church, that's the thing. It doesn't have to be a whole group of people. One person at church who makes someone feel all that guilt and shame is all it takes so unfortunately, I think part of the challenge is people who are often saying those things are smart enough to not do it in a group. They're smart enough to not do it in public. That's a but good point. When they do, and, and we've kind of talked about this before, it's not calling them out. It's not going, Lori, you should never say that because now I'm doing the same thing to you. It's pulling you aside and right. saying, I heard you say this to Joanna. That kind of made me feel uncomfortable. It seemed like if you were watching her body language, it seemed to really upset her. Can you give me your perspective on why you thought you should say that and where that's coming from? I think we have to individually pull people aside and have those conversations. And, and I think don't wait. It doesn't have to be your leader or your pastor. I think sometimes we want right. to wait and be like, well, that's not my job. Yeah, we're all called in the body of Christ to, to love to love in truth and to be accountable. And so if you hear something, even if it wasn't wrong, let's say I tell you something and it's biblical, but the way I told you was very hurtful. The way I told you upset you because I didn't know this about your past. You know, again, we can get into all those details, but pulling someone aside and saying, did you know this? And I've had those conversations before too. I know things about this person's past you don't. And so I happen to know that the way you said that was very triggering for them. I get you did it in love, but now that you have this truth, (laughs) you have to change, you know. So I don't know that I have the perfect answer, to be honest. But I do think it's like we've said before, when you hear something and your spirit goes, that wasn't right, say something. When someone comes to you and says, I'm leaving because this happened. And in your mind, you're like, well, that should never have happened. Go to the right people. Talk about it. Have the conversations. I think that the bottom line to all of this is just don't stay quiet and assume that you're wrong or that you're it's your perception. Let someone else tell you that. Let three people tell you that outside of your church. You They may be right, but. We should always, always be pursuing something that, that makes us go, huh, huh, that didn't seem right. That doesn't track
0: what I know. I love the way you said that is don't be quiet. You know, you don't need permission from leadership no. to do the right thing. And if you do, there's another red flag. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast episode. But I want to just discuss yes. one more quote from the book. The authors described the moment that Suzanne Cooper really finally understood what had happened to her when she was enslaved by these teachings of Jane Whaley. And it said, in the Word of Faith Fellowship, people are trained not to feel, not to care. The endless blastings, the battering, the isolation, none of that expels demons. It extinguishes Mm -hmm. hope. It suffocates joy. Everything about Jane Whaley and the church was a lie. Every action was meant to erase her followers will and make them dependent. Hmm. And when I tried to think about that concept in a different uh, kind of context, it really made me think of domestic violence situations. You've got a person who wants control over another and is willing to escalate more and more and more to get it. So we kind of started things with this. So this is really a perfect way to wrap it up. I think
1: you're right. It's very similar. I think I've shared this before. I had a relationship many, many years ago and it was very subtly controlling. Like I did not know it. Mm-hmm. He was very good at it. And I was a year in and it honestly wasn't until I was out of it that I could look back and go, oh my goodness, I was completely controlled by this person because I've lived it. I know what to look for. And so anytime... Mm-hmm anytime that you feel like someone is taking away your ability to choose to tell you things you can and can't do that that is such a red flag it happens a lot and not just in the church you know we have bosses that we feel we can't say no to. we have neighbors that that bully we have family members So I get why sometimes we get so accustomed to it in this culture that we can't always see, well, that's not right in this set. It's never right, but in that setting or this setting. And so I think some of it is just an awareness, especially we're both females, and I think it happens more easily to the female um, population, although obviously in that yes. church, they weren't all females. I mean, so, you know, she was good at doing it with everyone, but you and I always go back to this deep down. There is something in you that will surface when someone is trying to do something that is wrong. You will feel it. And the problem is if you ignore it too many times, it goes away. And so you just have to beg you. If you feel it, you got to do something about it. Run, tell someone. But again, get outside of your family, your church, your work, whatever situation you're in, Sometimes you have to get completely outside of it to find the person who can see it for what it is and help you break free from it.
0: And a lot of people in this group, the members' lives, were telling them, this isn't right, this shouldn't be happening, this person has too much control over you. And they would brush it off and say, well, they just don't understand how our church works. But when people who love you... Are expressing concerns, they're not trying to ruin things for you. So pay attention when people are saying that they're seeing things that you're not seeing. Absolutely. You know, turn that over in your head, give it an honest evaluation. It's okay to
1: that person be, why do you feel this way? And what are you seeing that makes you think that's happening? And you know, dig into it. We're not just saying take someone else's opinion at face value, but don't ignore it.
0: Yeah. Right. And, you know, ask the Holy Spirit. God says, if we ask for wisdom, he's going to give it to us. And so if you feel those stirrings in your spirit that, hey, something's not right here, don't squelch those. Don't ignore those. If you feel like, you know, a person's attitude, whether they're physically abusive or they are emotionally abusive or spiritually abusive, Whatever it is, if you have that stirring in your spirit that, hey, this is wrong. Listen. listen. And then do something about it. Appropriately. Well, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for for adding that part on. Well, as always, you have given wonderful wisdom, great examples. And I know that people who have listened, this is going to be something really good for them to take away. Not just for themselves, but I hope that they'll share it with other people. Thank you for having me. We will not wait as long <laughs> next time. We
1: say every time, but... I know. Well,
0: thanks Thank again and you. take care. Bye. I mentioned earlier in the podcast about the verse that talked about false prophets coming disguised as harmless sheep, but really being vicious wolves. I want to expand on that and read a little bit more of that passage. So we're going to read Matthew seven fifteen through 20 from the NLT. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. I love this passage. It's so straightforward and so practical, and I think it calls all of us to practice what security experts often call situational awareness. Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to know who in ministry is authentic and who is not. He knew that we were going to deal with situations like what we talked about in our story today, and he told us exactly what to do. We must embrace this as part of our calling. And if we look closely at the passage, we can see that Jesus gives us a simple three step process to accomplish this. First, we have to be willing to accept the fact that there will be false prophets trying to exert influence in our churches and ministries. Jesus doesn't say we might encounter them, he states that they will come, so we have to be on the lookout. Second, We must look objectively at people's actions. Trees produce fruit and people produce actions. If someone produces bad actions, they are not a harmless sheep, but are really a vicious wolf. Third, once we identify these bad actions, these vicious wolves, we have to deal with them. No, we're not going to throw anybody in the fire. Don't do that. But we may need to have that person step down from a leadership position I know that sounds harsh, but I didn't come up with this. God did. The integrity of our churches and our ministries is too important to handle wolves and sheep's clothing any differently. Closing our eyes and hoping for the best is not a safety strategy. So this was a tough one. Let me know what you think. Send me an email at Lori, that's L-O-R-I, at theunlovelytruth.com or message me on social media. I love it when people are willing to have those hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.